Dear ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special program presented by the Arab American Center for Culture and Arts under the title Arabs in the Eye of the Beholder, Stereotypes of Arabs in European and American Literature and Art. And I have the pleasure of welcoming with me in Arab American Center for Culture and Arts studio, Dr. Wissam Maligi. Welcome, Dr. Wissam. Hello, Sam. Dr. Wissam is assistant professor and director of the Comparative Literature and Arabic Translation Certificates at the University of Michigan, Dearborn. His book, The Poetry of Arab uh, Men from the Pre-Islamic, uh, Arab Women from the Pre-Islamic Age to Andal Andalusia is a critical anthology and translation of over 200 Arab female poets. His most recent book, Poetics of Return, discusses Arabic migration novels. This is the brief bio of Dr. Wissam and more information about him you will find at the uh, site of the University of Michigan uh, Dearborn. Dr. Wissam Edward Said says, no one today is purely one thing. Labels like Indian or woman or Muslim or American are not more than starting points, which if followed into actual experience for only a moment are quickly left behind. Imperialism consolidated the mixture of cultures and identities on a global scale. But its worst and most paradoxical gift was to allow people to believe that they were only, mainly, exclusively white or black or Western or Oriental. Yet, just as human beings make their own history, they also make their cultures and ethnic identities. No one can deny the persisting continuities of long traditions, sustained habitations, national languages and cultural geographies. But there seems no reason except fear and prejudice to keep insisting on their separation and distinctiveness as if that was all human life was about. Survival, in fact, is about the connections between things. In Iliad's phrase, reality cannot be deprived of the other echoes that inhabit the garden. It's more rewarding and more difficult to think concretely and sympathetically contrapunctually about others than only about us. But this also means not trying to rule others, not trying to classify them or put them in hierarchies. Above all, not constantly reiterating how our culture or country is number one or not number one for that matter. Edward Said, Culture and Imperialism. The subject of Arabs in the media has been studied and presented uh, numerously. Today, Dr. Wissam Malik is going to shed new light on it and the most uh, recent uh, perceptions uh, of it and its progress or deprogress uh, in the uh, Western media. Dr. Wissam, you can start your presentation and then we will open the floor for discussions, questions and answers and comments from our audience. Please leave them in the comment section, and we will make sure that they are displayed and addressed. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, actually, the, uh, this, this is an interesting topic, and I think uh, we are only scratching the surface, uh, although Edward Said has done that uh, a long time ago, but I think the surface, we will always be scratching the surface, no matter uh, how, how far ahead we are. But I think uh, the more aware we are of uh, stereotypes as something that can be uh, bashed or can be channeled at least, or can be uh, used productively, if not completely changed. Uh, I think something like that is uh, can be quite positive. And this is what uh, we are trying to do in discussions like this one. And uh, uh, of course, uh, major writings by Edward Said, by Jack Shaheen, we are going to mention in a while as well, and, and others. Uh, my focus today will be on literature and, uh, and art in particular, and also art, of course, will include the uh, paintings and will include the cinema, but I will also mention translation as well uh, in, in my discussion or in my presentation. I'm going, uh, I have like a PowerPoint, but I mean, I'll, I'll be sort of, as always, digressing from this uh, as well. And uh, uh, I, I would love to answer questions when we are done. So let me begin by sharing the screen uh, 
There we go. I think you can, can you see that? Is it shared? Yes. Okay. Uh, so that the title like that we are talking about, the eye of the beholder, the idea over here is that um, a lot of things actually admittedly are seen in the eye of the beholder. The idea over here is that psychologically uh, people tend to see what they want to see sometimes, which is a very interesting argument because uh, how far can we blame the the beholder, but also how far uh, is there hope for changing what the beholder sees? Uh, uh, it's a it's an idea that I've been preoccupied with, and I think a lot of people living uh, abroad, whether in diaspora in the sense of a diaspora or just visiting, uh, and now with globalization, with social media, with the internet, um, and pretty much with the cyber world. Uh, it is not only for people who live away from their countries, but for everyone. And uh, the stereotypes can be can be pretty damaging. Uh, I mean, I'm putting Edward Said over here. I don't think he needs me to put his picture, but of course, uh, it's just a, as an homage to the entire idea. The ism over here is what I'm interested in of Orientalism. Uh, the ism as a uh, as a suffix, in a sense, is making Orientalism some kind of an ideology, uh, as if it's some kind of a practice that is acknowledged that has been uh, uh, maybe accepted, institutionalized, which is pretty much what um, uh, a lot of what Edward Said is uh, is saying can be can be around that. I mean, this institutionalization of uh, the eye of the beholder, in a sense, of how uh, an entire population or entire populations uh, are seen by the institution. And the institution here can be anything from education systems uh, to literature and a modern uh, the modern era, it would be uh, the cinema, for instance. In entire creative industries are uh, are uh, stereotyping or are placing or recreating, in a sense, uh, or shaping identities of the other, this idea of othering, in a way. Uh, I'll, I'll talk briefly um, using images. Uh, it's hard to trace where this started for the Arabs, but one common uh, starting point is the Arabian Nights, which is, uh, since it's nights, it's a it's a dream, but it's an orientalist dream because it's such a source, a very rich source for so many negative images. Uh, is it misinterpreted? Uh, it's a it's a wonderful work of art. Uh, it's a literary work. It's very creative, and I think what happens to a work like the Arabian Nights is part of the injustice that stereotyping or othering can do. Taking a creative work. Uh, twisting it so much through translation and then through borrowing uh, that it becomes uh, it becomes a source for reality in a sense rather than seen as a creative work uh, and there, I'm, I know that there are views that see uh, a creative work as once it has been out then it no longer belongs to the author but it also this also depends on how uh, how it can be used and misused. And uh, there is a lot of appropriation or cultural appropriation that happened with the Arabian Nights. Uh, I know there is some kind of denial for that, which uh, I find interesting, but I also uh, disagree with. But um, one of the things that happens with the Arabian Nights uh, is translation. One of the earliest translations uh, into French, uh, followed by uh, Sir Richard Burton's uh, translation as well. Uh, the translations have done a service and a disservice uh, at the same time. Uh, Galland's uh, translation, for instance, and then followed by Richard Burton's translation, have uh, made the Arabian Nights accessible to readers of other languages at the time when Arabic literature was not really uh, accessible, was not even on, uh, was not even paid attention to in many cases. So uh, the translations did play an important role in that. But at the same time, so much of the translation was a rewriting, was adding to the texts, uh, was othering intentionally uh, you know, for the sake of sensationalism, for the sake of pretty much creating uh, a new image that the Western audience is going to like. Uh, and you have, I'm just oversimplifying over here, you have everything from like uh, belly dancers um, to 
jinns and, uh, and genies and so on, which are might be part of the story, but they have been pretty much focused and highlighted again and again in the rewritings or the translation that the gist of the novel or gist of the uh, narratives, <clears throat> uh, which cover so many themes and topics and which are, uh, like I said earlier, just wonderful uh, creative work have been uh, overshadowed by the focus on uh, the objectifying of women, the uh, uh, eroticization of an entire culture uh, by the depiction of the harem, for instance. Uh, and we have seen that in, uh, this has spilled over in art. This is a, a more recent piece of work, it's not an earlier art, but you can see the reason I chose it is that it symbolizes or it can sum up <clears throat> some of the uh, results of how the Arabian Nights was handled uh, by non-Arab uh, and non-Eastern, if you want, uh, translations. Uh, what you can see over here is first how the man is fully dressed and the woman is not, how the man is positioned at a higher position than, uh, than the female, uh, and how he, she is reaching out to him and he is not, and then you see the uh, dark background that you see over here and the orient or, uh, ornaments uh, around them and the way that he's dressed, which is very uh, orientalist in a sense. This is one of the most damaging stereotypes that the translations and the way the, the misuse of the Arabian Nights has resulted in the position of women compared to the position of men in Arab society, uh, which is something that you can argue for a lot of societies at the time, but definitely the way it's presented in translations and in the presentation of the Arabian Nights is not accurate at all. Uh, other images that became very that be, that were commonly became very common uh, because of the mistranslations and because of uh, the the uses of and abuses of the text was the image of the haggler, the merchant, who is sly, who is evil, uh, and who is trying to make use of younger people. So we have the image of the woman who is objectified. The image of the uh, uh, villainous old man. What we are seeing over here is uh, creating uh, archetypal images, actually, that, that have been reinforced again and again in translations and then in writings, in Orientalist writings, and then later on in, uh, in the cinema, in art. Uh, so you, you keep, those, those became patterns that were repeated again, and it's very difficult to change those. And again, always uh, uh, the image of the violent man, the image of uh, the, the beard, the bearded person who has very thick eyebrows, has this sly laughter, who's a harasser, who's a rapist, and the, uh, the, the, the woman who is uh, mistreated or is abused. Uh, Disney has played a major role in that, although they, I mean, in the recent movies, there were attempts sort of to, of Aladdin, they tried, uh, there were attempts to fix that. We can always discuss that and we get back to it. <clears throat> it has been a very long time with uh, a series of translations of the Arabian Nights. Just, just for the record, if someone is interested, uh, uh, Hussein Haddawi has, um, and Mahsin Mahdi uh, have a, a, an excellent book on the Arabian Nights, the translation of the Arabian Nights, which in my opinion is probably uh, the best translation anyone who's interested uh, should be able to get their hands on it and read, uh, read it in English. And one of the interesting things in about this book is, uh, at least in the first volume and in the introduction, there is an argument against some of the most uh, stereotypical Orientalist stories that have always been attributed to the Arabian Nights, such as Aladdin and Sinbad. <coughs> uh, excuse me, and um, Alibaba, uh, and in many cases, those have not actually. Uh, in some of the arguments in this book and in other research, those have actually not been proved as part of uh, the original Arabian Nights, which is just an example of how the text has been uh, stolen, basically, uh, and has been used, uh, given a life that is not a life of its own, actually. If, if a text has a life of its own, then it wasn't even allowed to have a life of its own. It was given many lives by those who handled it. Uh, again, if you notice the same image of the wide-eyed uh, scarecrow. This is supposed to be uh, this is supposed to be the genie who actually offers 
services. He, do, he doesn't look like he's offering any services. He's, he's, he looks like a, a villain, actually, rather than the, uh, the creature who's going to help the main character. Uh, apart from the Arabian Nights and uh, moving on from it, uh, art, medieval art, uh, early, mid and late medieval art and literature uh, had very negative uh, stereotyping and representations of, uh, of Arabs in general and uh, at the time of Muslims as well, which I think started also this tradition of equating Arabs with Muslims uh, uh, rather than focusing on, on Arabs uh, and on the fact that Arabs do not have to be Muslims. And this is also an important aspect of the orientalization and of the stereotyping. Uh, uh, this is uh, a drawing or an illustration uh, uh, from Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, which has uh, uh, Muslims depicted as suffering in, uh, in hell, in inferno. Uh, and again, you get a lot of images of the sort in, the, in some of the illustrations of the book as well. Uh, and it starts, uh, I mean, I'm not spend a lot of time talking about the Orientalist writing, but there are tons of writings of the sort that equate uh, faith or religious ideology with, uh, with the people. Uh, in the 18th and 17th and 19th century, uh, some beautiful drawings, I mean, I have to give them that, uh, of uh, Middle East, which in itself is an Orientalist term. Uh, and North Africa, uh, they were very accurate, very realistic. They were beautifully done, but they promoted and they focused on uh, the same stereotypical images uh, that we see in the early translations uh, of the Arabian Nights and the literature that came out of it. They focus on the marketplace, they focus on uh, the harem, uh, they objectify the women. This should get us into the, some of the mistranslations, which I find uh, there are tons of them. But um, in, uh, in, in my book, in the first book, I wrote the poetry, the poetry of Arab women from the pre-Islamic age to Andalusia. Uh, I cite one specific example, which is really interesting. It's a poem by uh, Maisuna bint Bahnal, and she wrote to Muawiyah, or she wrote about Muawiyah. Her, uh, presumably, uh, she was married to him, and he was her husband, and he was the caliph at the time, uh, and she was not happily married to him. At least this is one of the versions of the story about her. And she wrote a very strong uh, critique of her life with him, uh, saying briefly uh, that she would rather leave the palace with all its glory and all its treasures uh, and go back to her uh, family uh, where she has honor over there and her critique is clearly uh, of the fact that she was fed up of uh, life in the palace with all its political innuendos and uh, she wanted a more honest and open and free kind of life. Now there are many attempts to translate this uh, and they add things that have nothing to do with the poem and they, add, they project uh, a European or a Eurocentric view of uh, what a woman, an Arab woman at the time should be like from their perspective of it. And this is a very good example of in the eyes of the beholder, maybe translation in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, for instance, we have, uh, I don't know, Joseph Carlyle would describe the russet suit of camel's hair with spirits light and eyes serene. Uh, there's no mention of camels <laughs> in the original part of the poem here. Uh, and in the same translation, uh, the rustic youth unspoiled by art, son of my kindred, poor but free. I mean, she does not say things about being poor, uh, and she doesn't mention the rustic youth unspoiled by art. Uh, I mean, how, and she doesn't mention art. It's this, again, idyllic image of the, like, the noble savage that is not in the original. She's simply saying, going back to my family, which are obviously not royalty, and therefore, uh, I mean, they're not the same. I would not get the same kind of life I have in a in a royal palace, I would still rather go there. Uh, and he says, will ever be to, will, will ever to my soon as heart be dearer pampered fool than thee. This is not what she is talking about. What she says, this is my translation, for all I want is my homeland instead. Suffice it to say for me, that is a land of honor. I mean, the word honor, which is something that 
as a woman she is focusing on has been completely ignored in some in many of the translations. Uh, there are others. I mean, Richard Burton uh, has already played an important role in the orientalization and exoticization of women uh, in his earlier translations of uh, the Arabian Nights. Does the same over here, and he says, uh, um, "Yeah, and any cousin poor but free might take me uh, fatted ass from thee." Uh, and again, she does not say that her cousins would be poor and would be free at all. Uh, she simply said that her cousin who would be slim, she doesn't say he's poor. Uh, she's actually saying that the, the king would, is fat, but she doesn't say, but her cousin compared to him is slim. It doesn't mean that they're poor. Uh, and so on. And you have, I mean, there are so many examples of this kind of mistranslation that you have of, uh, of this specific poem. Uh, now, if we move on from uh, the mistranslations, uh, and uh, I'm going to move on straight to the 20th century to save us some time. Uh, you'll find uh, movies, specifically Hollywood, uh, early in the 20th century and all the way until very recently. You can say even until today, although there are attempts to uh, maybe uh, do something about it. You will see how uh, the present, how uh, the strong impact of the Arabian Nights and the images that it has created uh, are reflected in early movies. This is the Sheikh. Let's look at some of, which is one of the earliest movies. Uh, one of the things we see over here is how the first thing that an Arab is focusing on is women. So he ignores uh, all the diplomacy, all the business dealings, everything. And he, the moment he sees a white woman, uh, he's enthralled by her. Again, more images of uh, the harem straight out of uh, and Arabian Nights, uh, although the, the movie is supposed to be taking place in the 20th century. Uh, and of course, not to mention that the characters playing Arabs are actually uh, white. Um, there are many examples like this, but um, I, I want to look at an example which is not intentionally, or is not actually about uh, Arabs at all, or is not uh, about stereotyping Arabs, Back to the Future, a very famous movie, which is about something completely different. It's a science fiction comedy, uh, in a sense. And uh, still, when there is a mention of something related to terrorism, it's immediately an Arab uh, that shows up, or Arabs that show up. See that? All years, seeing the progress of mankind. Why not? I'll also be able to see who wins the next 25 World Series. Uh, Doc. Huh? Uh, look me up when you get there. Indeed, I will. Roll them. Hi, <coughs> Dr. Emmett Brown. Oh my God, they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Look for Marty! Who? Who? Who do you think? The Libyans! Holy shit! Uh, you can notice from the earlier example uh, that it is no longer just Arabs, but there is now a uh, focus on specific nationalities, uh, and those normally reflect uh, a Western, uh, the, the, the status quo or the current affairs or how the Western diplomacy or politics was viewing Arabs or specific nations at the time of when a movie uh, was made. Uh, another much more recent example is American Sniper, and it has uh, a very uh, uh, controversial uh, shot that I think I would like to 
show part of where uh, a child and uh, a mother are shot. Hold on, I got a woman and a kid 20 yards out. Moving this might be sensitive to some people viewing if they haven't approached uh, the actual film. It's a piece of So again, we see a clear uh, justification of the shooting of uh, a woman and a child. And uh, in some interviews about this, it is said that this particular scene was not actually in the original book, uh, which is interesting. And it goes a long way to show uh, how the cinema uh, or the visual aspect somehow seems to be focusing even more than uh, the written text on the stereotyping and the othering and the demonization of uh, of Arabs. Uh, those scenes and many others, uh, and probably the the text, uh, the go-to text about uh, Arabs in cinema or the presentation uh, representation of Arabs in cinema, is Jack Shaheen's uh, classic, uh, "Real Bad Arabs: uh, How Hollywood Vilifies the People." In a sense, it's like the Edward Said of, or the Orientalism book of, uh, of cinema. Uh, I mean, in the sense of its impact. Uh, Jack Shane has written other books, The TV Arab, and Guilty Hollywood's Verdict on, Arab, uh, on Arabs after 9-11. Uh, and they all deal with the same uh, uh, machine, in a sense, or the mechanization, or the mechanisms, if you want, uh, of, uh, of how Arabs are uh, represented, vilified, uh, and portrayed in, in cinema and television um, in America, which is something that you can use and argue for, um, uh, for European cinema in many cases as well. Real Bad Arabs is... Uh, a book, and it's also a documentary. And I really recommend people to watch that if they haven't already. Uh, in one, I mean, he shows a lot of examples, but one of the, I think, most uh, one of the interesting examples over here is how uh, Palestinians, uh, Palestinians are presented as terrorists uh, in in several films, and he 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 cites one of them, Delta. Uh, let me try to get to the. Achim Golan and Yoram Globus. These two filmmakers created an American company called Canon, and they released in a period of 20 years at least 30 films which vilify all things Arab, particularly Palestinians. They even came out with a film called Hell Squad, showing Vegas showgirls trouncing Arabs in the middle of the desert. I think the most effective film that ever done, one of the most popular and most racist, is the Delta Force. Here, Palestinians hijack a plane and terrorize the passengers, especially the Jewish ones. Pick out the passport with Jewish names. There is no form of communication more powerful than film in creating propaganda, and Golan and Globus took it to another level. Moving on from movies, uh, the stereotyping has has uh, and the othering uh, has has moved on to 
the digital world and before that also to video games uh, some games have been very uh, have attracted more attention than others and have uh, caused a lot of controversies such as call of duty uh, and you can see of course again the visual impact uh, is very strong with how arabs are presented uh, as militants with traditional uh, gear and traditional dress in another game hits kuma and again like like with back to the future even in cartoons uh, and animations that have nothing to do with uh, presentations of arab or representations of arab still would uh, brutus over here uh, like an animal popeye a, 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 a beloved character in animation is still presented in certain aspects in certain parts um, with a, uh, looking like an arab so even the traditional villain might be just given uh, some kind of dress to show that they are an Arab just for the fun of it, which of course uh, the fun is lost on me, honestly. Uh, I want to move on also focusing on the visual aspect to graphic novels and comics. Uh, long before the term graphic novels uh, uh, was used, uh, just the traditional comics uh, played a role also. Uh, especially that before the graphic novels, most of the comics were uh, uh, geared towards and directed at a younger audience uh, to the extent that there was censorship of them to make sure that they would be appropriate to younger people, but apparently the censorship uh, did not pay attention to the demonization of Arabs. Uh, and this is Tarzan, uh, um, or one of the comic books picturing Tarzan, and Tarzan itself, I mean, arguably, a lot of people can argue that it is uh, in itself uh, an Orientalist and pretty much in many ways racist uh, depiction of Africa. The very fact that um, Tarzan is Lord of the Jungle, he has absolutely no special powers, nothing, nothing special to him except the fact that he uh, is a white European male uh, whose parents were shipwrecked in Africa and uh, he grew up smarter and more powerful than the Africans themselves, and he became Lord of the Jungle. Uh, so what we see over here, again, uh, also the African and the Arab, pretty much like the, the Arab and the Muslim, uh, there are, of course, Arabs in, uh, Arabs and Africans. I mean, the, the infliction over here, but as a racism is, uh, is even stronger when you, have, uh, when you have those two together. Uh, more images. In television, and more recently, uh, this is a really interesting uh, and a funny story that happened just a few years ago in the famous TV show Homeland. Uh, just to show you where the language part is important, and I know we have had uh, at the uh, Arab American uh, Center for Culture Arts discussions about teaching language and so on. What we have over here is a story, a true story, where uh, uh, the Homeland producers wanted uh, Arabic words written on the set uh, and they hired people who speak Arabic in order to do that for them. And they didn't even bother to check. They had nobody to check that. So uh, those who were hired, and people can check that on the internet, uh, decided to write some really funny messages in Arabic. And the producers and the showmakers were none the wiser, and they aired them with uh, some comments uh, such as, Homeland is a racist show, and uh, uh, we're going to look at the Washington Post is talking about showing the song into that. It's very really funny. there are other examples from the same show. This is Arabic for Black Lives Matter, for instance. And uh, Mafish Homeland, there is no homeland. Uh, and again, uh, Mickey Mouse as a 
in a sense, symbol of like Americanization. And you have uh, homeland is racist, and the word spy uh, nicknamed is uh, in a in a sort of kasusu in a funny way. Uh, more recently, there are other images that are trying to take uh, representations of Arabs and of the Orient in general, but particularly of Arabs. Uh, in a more serious manner, but it's also still uh, making use of the magic uh, and making use of the representation of Arabs as uh, uh, exotic, the exotization of Arabs. Uh, some of them are like the game Assassin's Creed, as we see over here. Uh, in many cases, uh, and it also plays on the word assassin uh, and the, the origin of the story of the Al-Hashashin uh, or the, um, in a sense, it plays on that. But I mean, some of the representations are becoming slightly more geared towards uh, more favorable or at least uh, more interesting representations and the more direct villainization. Uh, this is another example of a video game that has an Arab hero in, uh, uh, in a video game, which has uh, Tekken, in Tekken 7, which has, as you can see over here, has created positive reviews uh, from Saudi newspapers. Uh, what I'm looking at over here are more examples of, but can we sense a difference? Can we sense a change in how Arabs are represented? Uh, this is a Spanish uh, Netflix original uh, called uh, Elite, and it has a representation of a Palestinian uh, character. She's a main character. Again, her story still is a traditional story of the woman oppressed by her parents. Uh, but she's one of the main characters. And uh, surprise, she's not a terrorist and she doesn't kill anyone. She is simply uh, a person at a high school and she goes through the same uh, drama that everybody else goes through uh, with family issues. Everybody has them in the, in the show. Uh, hers are still stereotypical, but again, given the context of the entire show, uh, it is still a break from uh, villainization of, of Arabs uh, a more recent show, The Caliphate, the Swedish show, is uh, a bit controversial as well. It's also a Netflix original, uh, and it discusses or it reflects uh, more into the recent interest in uh, migrants or in immigrant communities. Uh, and uh, it discusses how terrorism, but also uh, simply uh, people who are immigrating because they are living abroad for uh, a variety of reasons are presented. It's, a, it's an interesting show and it's a European example or it's an example of how uh, European cinema and television uh, also partnering here with Netflix uh, are presenting Arabs. Uh, and I think it's, it's really worthy of looking into this. Uh, let's get back to the comics uh, and also look at some of the new changes or the more recent and slightly more positive, I would say, attempts to uh, repackage uh, the Eye of the Beholder, in a sense. Uh, Miss Marvel uh, has presented a Muslim, not an Arab, uh, but a Muslim uh, Miss Marvel, more recently, uh, and a Palestinian superhero by DC. And, uh, and um, a new member of the X-Men, as we can see over here, there is a lot of exotization here as well. Uh, but again, if you look at it, I mean, these are X-Men, so they all sort of look different, but it's interesting how she is presented as well. And uh, I leave that to people who can see it as controversial, positive or negative. Uh, uh, before, I end, uh, before I end here, there are one of the things that I would consider interesting and worthy of looking at is how, uh, new shows and new movies presented or uh, films made by, by Arab Americans or by Arabs, uh, for instance, such as a Rami show, which is also controversial. Uh, and there, I think there is a step there in an attempt to maybe self-represent. It can border on the danger of self-orientalize as well. Uh, there's a lot that can be said about this, and I'd be happy to discuss this with if, if we have any questions related to that. But I'm going to stop here uh, to save us some time for discussions.
Thank you, Dr. Maligi, for this valuable presentation. I will start the discussion with a question by Dr. Ali Ajami, who says, uh, uh, it's, it's a follow-up on one of the images that you showed, uh, where you said that the woman uh, uh, portrayed in Dante's sure uh, are Muslims. How how did how did how can you tell that they're Muslims? Is it from the context of the story? Yes, yeah. It's it. This is uh, the actual drawing is uh, from Dante is a representation of the part where Dante describes uh, Muslims Muhammad as he as uh, as he writes it in uh, in the Inferno. So yeah. it's in one of the early editions uh, of the book, and this is an illustration of Muslims uh, suffering in hell. Yes. Uh, professor, uh, there is uh, two. Uh, just interrupt. This is a, the actual the illustration is by William Blake. So it's uh, William Blake was a was a British was an English uh, poet and artist as well. Uh -huh. And uh, there have been comparisons between him and uh, which is also Orientalist between him and uh, Gibran Khalil Gibran because he was a poet and an artist. Although actually they are very different in many in many ways. But one of the things that of the research that I find really interesting is. Why is it that if there is a Khalil Gibran or someone, an Arab who does that, you have to compare them to uh, to a Western uh, alternative who yes. lived centuries before them? And the only thing they have in common in many ways is the fact that they both write poetry and they paint. All right. Doctor, before we, I want to bring this to today. I want to bring this on this young high schooler or college student who's listening to this. Okay, they understand now the history of this. Now, what's what's the role that they want to play? So before we get into that practicality of how can we uh, deal with the issue, and is the issue persisting? Because Arabs, I mean, uh, we have to really uh, give them credit on a lot of many Arab Americans and others. There yeah. are humanist activists other than Arab Americans who also fight against uh, such stereotypes. I mean, they have, they have done a lot of uh, work on improving the portrayal of minorities in general in, uh, in the media and in, in literature and they have had some milestones and we thank them uh, for for their efforts nothing comes for free people exert effort so uh, you know what what more what effort is needed more but before we come to that question um some just clarifications first of all do do arabs have a more severe stereotyping than other minorities do they suffer more from it in the media than, than media and literature, let me combine these together, and arts. Do they suffer from it more than uh, other minorities or is is Hollywood, you know, infatuated and uh, literature is kind of, um, you know, uh, focused on, on the Orientalist uh, uh, view? I think it's, it, it, um... It goes with, in my in my opinion, with the historical period that the representation is taking place in. So, for instance, uh, you see waves. Like, for instance, uh, in the 1940s, uh, you would see uh, in the 1950s, 60s, you would see representations of Arabs as particularly Palestinian, and they are uh, vilified. Uh, and then after 9/11, you would see representations of Arabs as specifically Muslim, uh, and they are represented as, as terrorists. Earlier on uh, in literature and in art, you would see the focus is eroticization of, of Arabs. So you would see the harem, as you saw some of the Orientalist drawings. Uh, they are not, I mean, you wouldn't see things like terrorists, for instance, but you would see them as, uh, uh, as lustful people, as the men are lustful and the women are, uh, are seductive. Uh, it, the, the image of the very violent uh, terrorist, is, this is more of a 20th century sort of image. Uh, in the early 20th century, the turn of the 20th century, the images were focused on the sheikh as being, uh, on the Arabs as being like rich sheikhs who are, have a lot of money and it became more reinforced with oil, uh, with the discovery of oil and its significance and so on. I would say that, the, yeah, what you're asking is an important question because a lot of the verification of Arabs is very visual. I would find it more in visual representation uh, than in just traditional writing. Of course, there, there is writing that is very Orientalist uh, and that can be, and which had, which played its, its role as well. But the visual impact 
is uh, is is easy to catch is is much easier to catch and i think it all goes with uh with the changes with the historical period that this is happening taking place in uh, i would say other uh other nationalities and other uh, peoples in a sense or other populations have also been stereotyped and vilified and uh, i wouldn't say that the arabs have been the only ones or have have had more uh, uh, the worst share of that. I mean, uh, I would see it everywhere. I mean, like right, because the, Americans recently, for instance, right. the pandemic and so on. So I think a lot of that is historical. Yeah, Asian Americans have suffered from that. Even uh, racism uh, have been uh, also uh, been depicted in movies. Uh, yes. Uh, and uh, also uh, there were a period of the Cold War where Russians were, uh, you know, they were the... the yes. Uh, the ready enemy uh, to to vilify exactly. and, and an movie. easy target if you want to have an enemy for James Bond a James Bond movie or something. Right, and is there is there? I'm not sure if you're aware, but are you are you aware of other uh, industries and films, uh, for example, in the in the East? Do they do the same to uh, to Western characters? Is there also stereotyping? Of yes, this is it's an interesting point. I mean, it's uh, I think it's way less than. Uh, than what we see over here, and it's probably a response to it, uh, but it has existed before. There are a couple of, uh, there are a lot of studies about this, but I mean, one very interesting one is Rashid Al-Anani's uh, uh, book, and he has written a book on particularly the literature, uh, and it's called Arab Representations of the Occident, uh, East-West Encounters in Arabic Fiction, and in a, in a sense, it's a, uh, it, it's almost like using, I mean, you can, Based on studies like that, you can say Occidentalism, if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't go as far as say um, uh, it. It does not. It cannot do the same kind of damage, mm -hmm. mainly because of the the balance of power. There's a huge balance of power. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of it is a response to that. A lot of it is related to uh, state-controlled media in many of those countries. Uh, a lot of it is used just to vent the anger at uh, vent anger at how uh, Arabs are represented. Uh, you meant, I mean, I, I have a, a recent book uh, that came out this year. Uh, it's on uh, uh, immigration and identity in Arab uh, in Arabic literature. Uh, the one you mentioned earlier is called Poetics of Return, and it's about uh, many of the literature by Taha Hussein, by, uh, for instance, Caesar Migration uh, to the North, by Taib Saleh, Sahil um, Idris, um, a Lebanese writer, and so on. And uh, uh, Muhammad Abdulwali, a Yemeni writer, and they're all uh, they they all represent the other, uh, or in a, in a certain way, there is an othering element in I think in all literatures and in all cultures there is this aspect of othering elements. Uh, you would find that within Arab countries or Arab cultures themselves as well, but right. it cannot be nearly comparable, in my opinion, uh, to Orientalism or to the stereotyping of Arabs because of the balance of power. Yeah, because of the balance of power, and I think because many of Arab countries historically have had uh, a longer history of cosmopolitanism, uh, I would say they are used to the other, or have been used to the other for a much longer period than many of uh, the the producers of culture uh, in the countries that vilify uh, that vilify Arabs. Uh, so I would say that many many countries that are uh, defined as Arabs, are Arabs, their identities are Arab and something else as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this multiple identities have served uh, the Arab identity of the Arabs in a, in, uh, in a good way, in many ways, that they have, they're used to this kind of multiple identities. Uh, it is more recently, or whenever you see a rise in, uh, for instance, religious extremism or nationalism, that you start seeing uh, some of this uh, stereotyping of the other or this othering, but otherwise, uh, I would say there is a, a very strong level of uh, multiculturalism in this part of the world, historically at least. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor, there is two, you know, two roots where where this type of stereotyping comes from, uh, either from a place of ignorance, mm -hmm. and you combat that with education, yes, or a place of really. Um, intentional or conniving there is a political agenda, uh, agenda behind it and you combat that with uh, fighting you know fighting it like you fight oppression you you have to fight that agenda and reveal it uh, 
Um, at this stage of, of uh, fighting stereotypes, I mean, we join all the uh, uh, we join all the battles of minorities uh, fighting uh, against stereotyping, you know, minorities and racism and uh, stereotyping women, etc. Um, even uh, anti-Semitism, we join them in that fight. Of course. Um, and there has been a lot of progress made in America. We've in the, in the program that we've done before in Arabic, we've brought the story of Aladdin and how the new virgin has a better, um, little bit a better translation, a better uh, uh, wording, but still. At least an Arab, I mean, an Egyptian, uh, an Egyptian Canadian is playing Aladdin. Before that, they were, I mean, it would have been a shame because most of the characters were not played even by Arabs, which is. Right. Ridiculous. Yes. Right, so there's a little bit of progress because of the pressure. Yes. And that progress has to uh, continue. So how do we, How? what is our role? First of all, what's the effects? What, what's the danger? I mean, we've, we've seen, but we have to reiterate it. Like what's, what are the dangers of such stereotyping? Yeah, it's, it's very, it's damaging on, on, I think, on both ends. Those who uh, belong to the, culture that creates the stereotypes because they grow up uh, through education or even as grown-ups uh, just through the media and it's becoming more dangerous now because of social media which is something that you can watch again and again so brainwashing is very easy even if it's unintentional it still happens uh, and we have seen that with all the discussions of like vaccines and so on i mean how misinformation everywhere can fly and stuff like that so uh so those who belong to the uh culture that is producing the stereotypes end up isolating themselves and end up uh, with a lot of hate or a lot of disregard for the other and this kind of othering diminishes them in a way and it also can always lead to violence or at least lead to injustice uh, and then there are those who are uh, more I mean obviously the victims of the stereotypes uh, those who are stereotyped or othered they suffer twice they suffer because they uh, will be treated badly, they will be deprived a lot of their rights, they will be treated uh, unfairly, and they might be even victims of uh, violence in certain cases, or in many cases, not certain cases. And also, which is uh, something that is ignored sometimes, there is a self-stereotyping or self-othering. In, in the case of Arabs, it would be self-orientalism. Uh, it's a seeing yourself as uh, unworthy, because, I mean, if you live in this world where you're always being portrayed as unworthy and uh, usually uh, stereotyping works uh, better or works more, I wouldn't say better because it's bad anyway, uh, works more powerfully uh, when those who are performing the stereotyping are more powerful, uh, are wealthier, they have more connections. And you don't have to be an immigrant. If you're an immigrant and you're being the victim of stereotyping, imagine the generations, the younger generations, when they are always being bullied or portrayed in the media uh, as, for instance, violent or as, as terrorists, uh, imagine the, same, the sense of shame and guilt. For those who live in Arab countries, it can create feelings of wanting to leave the country, of wanting to go away, of uh, feelings that of, of self-hatred, basically. Right. And I think it has happened with all, with all victims of racism and all victims of stereotypes. True. Uh, th I, I would say those are the damaging effects. I mean, at least some of them. Yes, the, the, the damages are... Are, are are far more than what we what we can mention here. Um, even uh, a study of the rad radicalized uh, individuals in uh, yes. in Europe who end up, for example, committing uh, certain crimes, they they find the element of othering um, is is an element sometimes that participated yes. in radicalizing Absolutely. them and isolating them from. Uh, sometimes you start pushing the the victim to act like you are projecting him yes, to be. Exactly, I mean, you're creating, you're, you're pretty much creating the stereotype and the stereotype becomes alive. It's like a Frankenstein kind of thing. You're, you created the monster. Uh, exactly, yeah. other than also uh, the, 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 it creates materials for bullying. Of course. Uh, for, for and, yeah. Bullying already exists. You're just creating material and enriching it. Um, you are, uh, uh, you know, helping uh, conspiracy theories, you are um, the damage that I, I feel sometimes I myself, I'm, I'm not sure 
if I have rational thinking due to all the effect of stereotyping on me. So sometimes I fear to behave a certain way in the airport or an airplane, but my kids don't. And I'm not sure if I'm right or they're right. I should just leave them alone or, or should I let them know that we can't behave like this because we're Arabs. I remember one time we're sitting with friends in uh, New York, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the square. Uh, Times Square? Times Square. And uh, we had one, one friend with us who, who was not a, an Arab American and um, he started uh, uh, counting down loudly imagining it is new year's so he's going nine eight and all of a sudden all of the arab americans in the group we, we jumped on him and, and closed his mouth what are you doing you can't count down when arab are there because we're afraid that people will uh, see this, understand this yeah something dangerous so he was shocked like really you think like that so yeah we and and what us, kind of life do you have if, if you're that terrified yeah right. exactly but us it was a normal reaction for all of us arabs in the group uh, at that time uh, and i feel that the media has fed us this we're, we're afraid to speak arabic in the in, in, the, airplane, in the airports uh we behave we you know we even uh, we always and, and there is a lady that made a, a documentary about this called the feeling of being watched. We're always feeling that we are uh, being watched. We are always guilty until, until proven uh, innocent. And all the racial profiling that, that came with that after 9-11 and uh, continues uh, uh, to be. So all the stereotyping uh, enforces that and creates a lot of psychological damage, if not on us, then on the, on the younger generation. Now the last part of the of the of the uh, uh, episode, the uh, professor is talking about how to combat that. Um, I I think uh, I mean education and uh, and knowledge, but I think a lot of that is empowering each other and empowering minorities in general. Like you said, like even with um, uh, with not necessarily with Arabs, like Arabs uh, becoming part of the fight for ending stereotypes, uh, whether it's uh, African Americans, whether it's uh, anti-Semitism, uh, whether it's whatever the battle or the issue, I think uh, Arabs should be part of that in whatever capacity they can. Um, a lot of it is, I think empowerment, self-empowerment is very important uh, in countries where there is a possibility of political involvement. I think this should be encouraged for those who are like inclined towards this. Uh, for those who are not, then I would say my, my personal favorite would be art and culture because uh, if you think about it, this is how it all started. It all started with literature and art and, and not, not just with elections or with politics or even not even with violence. It was mistranslations, uh, a few drawings, a few paintings. Uh, do the same. I mean, use the same. This was a weapon, and uh, art and culture and literature have always been reasons for a lot of happiness, for a lot of harmony. Uh, and it's it's really sad that it can be used uh, for the exact opposite, and we can always uh, use that again. And uh, and I don't want to be to be playing favorites over here, but I mean, the part of the world where like Arab culture and Arab heritage comes from has had a very, very long history of producing some of the most beautiful literature and art uh, and culture uh, in history. And this is not seen. I mean, what is seen is uh, mistranslations again, misrepresentations. And uh, you will have to say, I mean, how would people know if something is, if there's something better unless you present it to them? Uh, there will always be attempts to stop you from presenting that. But I, I, I think, uh, and we have already some of this going on, like more education, definitely more artistic and cultural production. And I think it's it's it can be done now, particularly with social media, with the internet, uh, with talks like ours, regardless of, uh, at least it's accessible, regardless of how many people watch this or see it, uh, it's out there. And this is your theory, basically. I mean, which is something I really appreciate. I mean, just put it out there. and. Uh, uh, you know the, the saying, if you build it, they'll come. Uh, so yeah, build it, and and people are going to see it. Uh, whether it's a painting or whether it's a it's a book, it's a it's a class. 
taught at a university. It's a talk. Uh, this for people like like us who are not uh, like part of a political like I don't who are not facing any elections or something like that. Right, right. Uh, yeah, everybody in their field basically. Right. So you know, being uh, you're always representing your culture and you're destroying stereotypes. Uh, yes. Wherever uh, you are, whatever you're doing. So whatever career you are uh, holding, yes. as an Arab American, you have a multiplied responsibility which before yes. you're also just you know displaying your culture and fighting stereotypes against it yes. especially those involved in art and we've seen the positive effect of artists go far beyond any politician or any campaign yeah. that is uh, possible um the stereotypes were created by art so they can be you know it's like uh, like in those like in science fiction movies so i mean this was created by whatever so you have to destroy it using the same stuff uh, i mean going back to the arabian nights like in a sense if there was a spell cast I mean, you would need the same magician to cast or the same magic to cast a, a counter spell. So art, yeah. culture started this. They can also end it. The antidote is from the same uh, exactly. <laughs> medium. Um, you know, the Anti-Defamation League, a Jewish organization that fights, uh, that fights defamation of Jewish people yeah. and watches media, watches, watches you know, the... the the media word out there for any display that has, uh, uh, you know, a smell of anti-Semitism or a, or a, a questioned intention, um, and they have a budget of over twenty-five million dollars a year. We have a similar organization also as Arab Americans that that watches for that. It's called the Arab American Anti-Discrimination Committee (ADC), but its budget is is way less than that. Uh, it's it's even less than. 700,000 a year. Uh, so we do have a long way to go in building institutions that uh, will, um, because this is a work of institutions, uh, to actually address and work with uh, media companies to educate them and to, um, and, the, and the departments of justice and um, uh, they're always, they're always uh, helpful and they're always cooperative and when it comes to um, uh, these issues, I've, I've seen it uh, firsthand. And uh, also another thing that, that needs to be done is um, translation, which I will end with this point, which is the area of your expertise as the director of the Center for uh, Translation in the University of Michigan, Arabic translation, uh, is that uh, we, need, um, uh, we need to pay attention to the translation of our language. We need to provide that translation when needed. We need to provide professional sources for Arabic consultation. And that might be a big role also for the Arab American Center for Culture and Arts. Yes, I think translation and uh, and also comparative literature and humanities in general. I think one of the things that many uh, like immigrants, second generation in particular, they tend to focus on what, what you might refer to in education as STEM as opposed to humanities. Uh, which is a very traditional view. It's all over. I mean, it's not just, it's, it's for all cultures, the focus on science and math as opposed to the humanities. And this this can be very problematic because uh, when you become a successful physician or engineer, uh, you are not producing the kind of art and culture that would attract attention to you in many cases. I would really, uh, if, if you want a positive role played by, for instance, immigrants or by Arab Americans or by heritage learners, and we have a lot of them in Dearborn, it is at least allow the children or encourage them when they get to college, when they are, when they grow up and they join college, to take classes in uh, in the humanities, where in history, in Arab American uh, uh, literature, and Arabic literature, and Arabic language and translation, in comparative literature, and their knowledge of this is going to help them understand where they come from, and they will be able to productively join discussions. Uh, the second thing is empowering, like you said, the native speakers of Arabic. Uh, through the translation, which uh, comes through the education of, of Arabic language. And uh, and yes, I would say translation, we need a translation movement, basically. Uh, this is what made Arabic culture and heritage uh, great at some point, if we are talking about the Middle Ages, the ninth century, uh, in Baghdad, in, in, in Cairo, in Egypt, in so many uh, of, of the countries, was a translation movement from, uh, from Arabic uh, into Greek, into Latin, and also from Greek into Arabic, uh, which pretty much effectively started the Renaissance in, in, in many accounts. Uh, we need something like that. We need, a, we need a translation movement. And it's I think it's easier now than it was before. 
I mean, you had to if you had to travel for months in order to move from one place to another, uh, and you can do that right now by just checking YouTube or Google. So, thank you, Dr. Wissam. Thank you so much uh, for for this session. Thank you, everyone, for following uh, this uh, episode with the Arab American Center for Culture and Arts. We hope that you continue to follow uh, our programs and share them, please. Uh, this is uh, the least uh, support that we expect from you is to share this episode and spread the word. Uh, we only rely on you uh, to spread the word uh, and to support organizations such as uh, the AACCA and other organizations like the ADC that we mentioned and any other organization that really uh, have dedicated people to uh, fight to make the world a better place at the end. Um, thank you again. This episode will be also available on the Dearborn Blog podcast. You can uh, hear it anywhere that uh, supports podcasts like uh, Spotify or iTunes. And it will also be available on the Facebook and YouTube pages of the uh, center. Thank you again, Dr. Wissam. And thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.